Those of you that uh, have been on vacation, you're probably wondering why is the stage set up the way it is, especially my friends uh, Mike and Carla, so great to see them. We uh, worshiped and uh, served alongside of them at Alice Drive, and so uh, he's just in a season where he's um, just resting and and, uh, not teaching, and so they decided to travel around, so thank you. Um, guys, for y'all coming and joining us this morning. I hope that it's been a blessing and will be a blessing. Uh, so this, these few, over the course of the last two weeks and, and this week and the next two weeks, we are studying the book of James. And we're having conversations about the book of James. I want to encourage you to go ahead and find your copy of God's Word and I want to help you get to the book of James. Really, is I've been studying this book and, and going to preach and teach it to you. I think the easiest way for you to find it is to take your Bible, turn to the very end, the book of Revelation, and start working your way uh, backwards. And so you'll find First and Second John, First and Second Peter, and then the book of James. Um, so that's where James is. It's sandwiched between Hebrews and First Peter. As I tell people as well, don't be afraid to use your table of contents page. It is there for a reason. Everything in God's Word is holy and inspired. Amen. Some of us believe that. Every dot, every tittle. So that includes the table of contents page. Use it. It's there for a reason. One of the things as I've been studying, I, I lean into other pastors and preachers and teachers that I, um, that I appreciate who have made impact on my life. One of those uh, such men is a, name by, a man by the name of Dr. Johnny Hunt. He uh, has preached for a long time in Woodstock, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. And uh, Dr. Hunt wrote a a little booklet. It was called Shoe Leather Christianity, a study of the book of James. Dr. Hunt said this. He said, James desired for each of his readers to have a faith that works, a genuine faith, rather than a faith that is identified by works, a false faith. Faith. That's what we talked about last week. If you missed last week's message or you'd like to listen to any others in this series, go to BibleFellowship.org, look for the messages tab. They're all there. You'll find them there. Also, James reiterated that the overarching theme for his book was in the very first chapter when he said this, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He's saying in essence that followers... Or that you're not only uh, to talk the talk, but you're to walk the walk. Amen? As we talked about even this morning as we prayed, as you go throughout your week, are you more worried about people knowing your opinion on X, Y, and Z? Or do you want them to know where your hope and truth and identity is and lies in the name of the man, Jesus? Now, for some of you, that might not be the instance. You might be more uh, conceited or arrogant or whatever, lost in your ways, and you might think that it's your God-given talent to let everybody know what you think. It is not. Amen? It is to love others. It is to love God and to love others, to love our neighbor. And so, in essence, as Dr. Hunt talks about, he says that in the book of James, we observe Christian belief connecting with Christian behavior. One time before when I preached and taught on the book of James, the title of that series was called Maturity. That's really what the book of James is about, in my opinion. It's about maturity. It's connecting who you say you are with what you do. It's connecting your beliefs with your behaviors. And for some of us, including me from time to time, there are a disconnect between those. Amen? There are areas that we need to work on. It might be in our giving. It might be in our relationships. It might be in our Bible study, in our quiet time. As Jimmy mentioned this morning, there is only one perfect. It's Jesus. We're to to imitate Him. 
And he's going to make us more like his son. I want to, as you've turned to James, I want you to turn to James chapter 3. Um, for those of you that are visiting, as you've seen the format from week to week, we're basically inviting one person that was in my small group. We studied the book of James for about six weeks um, this past spring. And so we've invited a person to come up each and every Sunday. This Sunday would be uh, Miss Mary Darty's Sunday. And unfortunately, she is not able to be with us, is not here. And so I will be um, basically sharing what I observed as I studied James chapter 3. In the next two weeks, we will have um, Brother Jay Bryan and Tammy will share as well, and that will wrap up our series. So this morning, I want us to look at a few verses, and I really um, intended to share, as we've been doing with other folks, we've shared one, and then when I realized uh, Miss Mary wasn't going to be able to be here, I said, okay, God, well, I studied two verses. I'll share those there together, and then I looked back at my notes, and I had studied the next verse, I said, okay, God, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm just going to teach this passage really quickly. And time is drawing near, drawing nigh, but we're going to go through this and I hope we're going to make some uh, observations and some points about it. So I want you to look at James chapter 13. We're going to look at this section. It's in my Bible. It's called Wisdom from Above, 13 through 18. So let's read this together. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be dishonor in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, listen, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wow, what a long drink of water to cover in a short amount of time. But praise God that he can bless the reading and teaching, preaching of his word. Amen. So I want us to very quickly uh, look at uh, this passage this morning. I want us to start in um, verse 13. And we see where James says, Who is wise among you? Who is wise among you? If I was to ask for a show of hands this morning, or if I would have asked you to take in your Connect card and say, I want you to write down one person who's wise in this building this morning. People could write down answers, amen? Why? Because it's based on their character. It's based on how they react to things. It's based on how they live their life. Are they just talking the talk? Are they walking the walk? Are their beliefs and their behaviors connected? And when people have wisdom, their their beliefs and their behavior are connected. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 1-7, he says, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm pretty sure if we, if we ask for a show of hands or to write on that connect card, can you name a fool? Yep, we could. We could name some fools in this room, amen? I don't know if they would want to be named, but we, hey, we'd write them down instead of standing up and pointing them out. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so James is asking, who is wise among you? Who is wise among you? And our actions demonstrate if wisdom is present. Our actions demonstrate if wisdom is present in our lives. Also, I'd say that our attitude demonstrates if wisdom is present in our lives. 
You see, skill and intellectual capacity and the mere collection of raw data are insufficient to successfully navigate through life's treacherous waters. Instead, we must be certain, we must obtain a certain measure of heavenly wisdom to safely arrive on shore. That's what Dr. Hunt mentioned as he unpacked a few of these verses. He said, To be wise describes a person with moral insight and sharpened skill in deciding practical matters relating to life. A person gains his wisdom as a direct result of having a relationship with God. That's what it means to, to be wise. Is in my quiet time, if you look back today and, and, and yesterday was the third, so one way that you can go deeper in your study of the Bible is to turn over to the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters. They're anywhere from, what, 28 to 30 to 31 days in a month. And so whatever the day is, you read that chapter in Proverbs. Go and read um, Proverbs chapter 3. Go and read Proverbs chapter 4 today. Solomon is talking about wisdom and where we receive wisdom from. Then we see in verse 14, we see in verse 14 it says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. See, bitterness becomes a deadly poison to healthy relationships. Bitterness becomes deadly poison to healthy relationships. When you have bitterness, there cannot be health. Right? As my brother Jim Johnson, who sharpened me early on as I began to take next steps in following Jesus to to serve him, I'll never forget that Jim talked about and has preached a message about we can get bitter or better. And a lot of times in our lives, in our relationships, we stand at that crossroads And we have a choice to make. Thank God for God's sovereignty. Thank God for free will. And we stand at that crossroads. And in that situation, whatever just entered our life, that we were smacked in the face or we were pushed down or we were caught off guard, we stand at the crossroads and we can either get bitter or we can get better. We can either sulk, we can either complain, we can wallow, we can, we can gossip, we can ha- be angry and jealous and bitter, or we can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening. Will you help me? Give me wisdom in this situation. Give me wisdom in this situation. You see, as Dr. Hunt mentioned, if wisdom is going to operate in a believer's life, then he or she must begin with a cleansed vessel. It, it's on the inside. And some of us in our churches today, in our community, at this church, and others in our community, oh, they look nice. And they look sharp when they come. They might look clean on the outside, but are they clean on the inside? Is there bitterness? Is there jealousy? Is there rage? The word here, bitter really probably refers to a violent or even uncontrollable sentiment settled in a person's heart. But listen, it's not just bitterness James has in his sights, but it's bitter jealousy. Desiring the good of one's brother or sister is replaced by desiring destruction. If persons are more interested in preserving self than adoring God, wisdom will hardly find the suitable soul necessary to grow and thrive. 
I'd like for us to look at verse 15. What do we learn in verse 15? This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Right? I mean, he's, he's making it wisdom from above. That should be what we're seeking. When we wake up in the morning, sometimes my prayer is, Lord, will you give me wisdom for this day? Will you, will you give me focus? Give me focus to do what I need to do? But give me wisdom. Are you praying daily for God's wisdom? Not that you may get through on your own, but that He will empower you. He will show you through His Spirit and give you wisdom. Sometimes He'll say, and He's done it to me since I've been your interim pastor. Sometimes He's like, shut your mouth. Right? I mean, there's been situations where it's like, okay, shut your mouth. That's wisdom. Amen? So it's earthly. Then we also see that it's unspiritual. Some translations say that it's natural. That it's natural. So it's earthly, it's natural. And then James goes so far to say that it's demonic. And so then that begs the question, how can we discern the presence of demonic wisdom? How can we discern the presence of earthly wisdom? How can we discern the presence of of whether it's unspiritual wisdom? Well, look with me, if you will, in verse 16. Verse 16. Verse 16, we see this. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Listen, James tells us if jealousy and self-ambition are combined, that there will be. Not there could be, or that there might be, but he's saying it is guaranteed that you will have disorder. You will have chaos. Does that define some of our churches? Does that define some of our small groups? Not ours, but in our, in our, in our world. Does that define some of our communities? Does that define some of our families? Jealousy plus self-ambition equals chaos. See, one of the things we do, guys that are visiting with us, is that when we went through this study, we would read one chapter a week. And we would do what we call a HEAR journal entry. H-E-A-R. HEAR. We're reading to hear from God. And so one of the ways that we would do that is that as we're reading that one chapter, one verse, God, the Holy Spirit is going to enlighten you and it's going to be like, bam. I'm like, where did that come from? Why have I never seen that before? And so what you do is you, you make a mental note of that and you keep reading. Well, as you journal, you go back and you highlight or you, for us, we would write it in our journals. We would highlight and write that verse. Then we interact with it. We circle things that, why did that verse Call out to me. Why am I drawn to that verse? And so for me, you know, it's underlining jealousy, self-ambition. There will be. Then I boxed in disorder in every vile practice. So I'm interacting with the Word. I'm sitting there. You see, friends, far too long I've heard people say, well, you know, Brother Chris, I I read my chapter in the Bible today. Okay. What did you learn? What, What did God teach you about you? What did God teach you about Himself? What is God calling you to do based on what you read? That's why we have to just sit down sometimes and just be with Him. To be in His presence. To slow down and to interact 
with that verse, to interact with the Apostles' Creed as Terry did as she prepared it for the bulletin and said, wait a second, why does this say Catholic? Why, why does this say Catholic in there? What does that mean? It's to dig deeper. It's to pray for understanding. It's to pray for answers. It's to Sometimes you're not going to have the answers. You're not going to see it in your helps. You're not going to understand it. And so that becomes a prayer point. You pray that back to God. God, I don't understand what this means. Lord, help me to see that or just help me to trust you. So listen, we can, so we, we, we hear it, we, we highlight it, we write it down, we interact it. Then E is we explain it. What is God saying to us through this verse? Then the A is application. How can we apply this verse? And then the R is a response. So what I'm reading through here on these next three verses is my here journal. Are the things that as I interacted with the word, things that I wrote. Now here's the thing I want you to know. What's beautiful about this is this was not written and intended to be shared openly. Amen? It was written in my personal, private, quiet time. But I'm willing to share it with you, to teach you, and to show you. You know, your, Yours is going to look different. Yours is going to sound different. But this is how, what I saw. This is what God showed me. And so, when I do these, I don't do them with a message in mind. I do them with seeking a deeper understanding of the Lord. To find out who I am. To look into the mirror and see that I'm not as great as I think I am. I don't act as great as I think I act. That I do indeed need Him. So listen, as I explain this, it says we can have ambitions. We just have to have a system of checks and balances to ensure that we don't get focused on me, me, me. Or I want, I want, I want. Then I began to just look up other words. See, I believe that as you study God's Word, one of the greatest tools that you can have near you as you study God's Word is a dictionary. Right? As we did this morning, what does countenance mean? That's His appearance. Right? We don't use countenance. I'm like, okay, I think I know what that means, but what does it mean? So I looked up some words. Jealous. What does it mean to be jealous? It's hostile towards a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage. It's intolerant. Of rivalry or unfaithfulness. Hmm. Pharisaical much? Right? You think about the people around you. Oh, I'm doing here journals. I'm attending church. What are you doing? How are you growing in the Lord? Um, hello? They're not your standard. He is. Amen? You worry about you. And you try to take what you're doing and connect what you believe with your behavior. To love and to serve those that God places in your path. Vile, morally despicable or abhorrent, physically repulsive, foul, tending to degrade, disgusting or utterly bad, ambition, an ardent desire for rank, fame or power, or a desire to achieve a particular end. Hmm. How can we apply this? What a warning from James. How do we guard our hearts and minds from becoming or leaning towards jealous and selfish ambitions? Well, I wrote a prayer. Lord, help me to become aware of when I'm becoming jealous. Pray his word back to him. Pray what you're seeing in his word back to him. Also that morning as I had read in another devotional that I was reading, a devotional book, it was talking about self-communion. And the author said, help me preach to my own heart. Help me preach to my own heart. It was in Timothy Keller's The Songs of Jesus. 
He said this, Lord, I need to learn to preach to my own heart rather than just listening to its foolish or panicky chatter. Help me to learn how to effectively say to my unruly inward being, put your hope in God. See, friends, we have to look inward. We have to take a self-examination. And we have to have accountability. So my response, which is typically a prayer, was this. Father, what a challenge and reminder as a follower, a father, a husband, a leader, that I have to watch out for these in my own heart, but also be aware of them as I lead others. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. There were lots of underlines in this verse. Amen? First, I boxed in wisdom. What is wisdom? And not just wisdom, but wisdom from above. This is a test. This is a test. The things I love about Scripture is God has everything we need for our lives, even today as we near 2020. Thank God if we look to His book, we can have 2020 vision. Amen. We can see clearly what He's called us to do. It is relevant. It is living. It is active. It is still changing lives. Amen. And it can change our hearts and our lives as well. This is a test, just like Philippians 4 8. That's another one. It's in the front of my Bible. And I, that's a test for me. But here's a test when it comes to wisdom. Is it what? Is it pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it open to reason? Some translations say, is it reasonable? Is it full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere? Listen, wisdom is a challenge. This is how I explain this verse. Wisdom is a challenge, it doesn't automatically come with age. You repeat that. Maybe I'm just preaching to my own heart. Maybe some of y'all need to hear this this morning. Wisdom is a challenge. It does not automatically come with age. Just because your hair might be full of gray does not mean that you are full of wisdom. Could be, but not always. At least not in every area. Amen? Might be in some things. James reminds us that we should be looking for true wisdom from heaven above. Go back to what he told us earlier. We should be what? Quick to listen and slow to speak. Why did God give us two ears and one mouth? Because we need to probably be listening twice as much as we talk. Amen? That means that we must process things that are coming our way. Some people process that slower than others and some faster. Amen. So as you're as you're following God, as you're taking next steps, man, you're on fire and you're doing great things and you're just throwing out all these truths and you're just so excited. And people are like, holy cow, like take a Xanax or something. I think that's what you're supposed to take anyway, like take something and like calm down, you know. But no, you know, we have to remember that people process things slower than others, some faster. So how do we apply this? What a test for whether we are wise And if what we think is wisdom is or is not, in fact, wisdom, right? It should be from God and it it will be pure of, it, it will be pure, it will be peaceable, it will be gentle. I circled that. Open to reason. I underlined that and wrote a question mark. And not just have mercy, but be full of mercy along with fruitful, impartial, and sincere. So 
kind of one of the things, even as I was preparing for this morning, that reasonable, right? Open to reason, reasonable. What does that mean? Well, I don't, I don't fully, I'm not tracking with that. But, but easily obeying, compliant, accommodating, submissive. The New Living Translation, which I, I love to read sometimes because it's written in a modern language. It's written in ways of taking the original, the original text and, and translating it in a way that you and I talk. It's not these and thous and thithers and yees and yonders. Amen? It's, it's written how you and I talk today in the language that we speak in that's true to the text. Listen, it says, Peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. That's what wisdom is. Willing to yield to others. Whether that's your spouse, whether that's some leader in your life, Willing to yield to others. The King James Version says, easily to be entreated. That means ready to forgive. So see, there are things, when you study God's Word, you're not going to understand everything. Write it down. Write it down. Interact with it. Write questions. So my response to that was, help me to realize that I am not wise, but that I must daily seek wisdom and strength from you. Last but not least, verse 18. Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The Amplified Version says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness, spiritual maturity, is sown in peace by those who make peace by actively encouraging goodwill between individuals. How do we explain that? Being a peacemaker is not an easy job. Listen, we all want peace, but we we don't want to work for it. We don't want to seek it. We all want peace, but we don't want to work for it. We don't want to seek God for it. We just hope that it magically happens. What does it mean to sow? It means to plant. It means to plant seed by scattering it in and on the earth. It means scattering it in our relationships. It means scattering it in the interactions we have with others. And so my application, I ask a lot of questions. I don't like answering questions. I like asking questions. But it's hard to answer them sometimes, amen? But I have to, I have to take and I have to seek God and I have to say, okay, God, what do you want me to see in this? And I got to answer it because you, how did I get that question? I can't just skip that. So what am I sowing? In order to get peace in our relationships, we have to have planted and allowed for growth. Turn that back on ourselves. And in order to reap godliness, we have to have sown seeds of godliness in our hearts and minds along with our relationships. So then I wrote the question, how can we sow peace? How can we sow peace? Through trust, through prayer, through having difficult conversations. And you say, wait a second. I thought you said, like, peace is ultimate. Yeah. But sometimes that's pulling another brother or sister in Christ aside and saying, do you realize how you're Actions are affecting others. 
Do you realize how what you're doing or what you're not doing, your attitude, your behavior, your actions, or how they're impacting others? It's being open and honest. I don't know about you, but how many of us like confrontation? So my prayer, as I read that day, God, you've called us to be peacemakers, making peace with ourselves and others. It can be downright hard. Help me to pause and to seek your peace, your perspective, and your power when I want to do the opposite. Lord, what am I not seeing? Friends, as we close out today, Ms. Betsy, will you play 630 and we'll sing that. As we close out today, think about that. What if you go through this week and you just simply said, okay, when you get knocked down, when you get caught off guard, you don't know what that next phone call, what that next text, what that next person, when they walk through your door, when they walk into your office, when they bump into you, what they're going to say. Amen? But what if we just paused, even as Nehemiah did when he was asked a question by the, the king? It says he prayed and then he answered. Well, it doesn't tell us how long he prayed, but I imagine in his presence, sometimes you just have to whisper a prayer and say, God, help me. God, give me the words. God, help me to reflect you. God, help me to seek peace. So I ask you, are you going to, will you pause this week and seek peace? Seek God's perspective and His power when you want to do it on your own.